Amen. Well, good morning. I am glad you're here. Wow, what a time of worship. Man, I hope you just were lifted up there. Man, just praising God. That was awesome. Um, also, if you get a chance, just thank those ladies for VBS. Uh, it takes some, I don't know, maybe they enjoy dressing up like carrots and things, but, but they are dedicated. And so if you get a chance, just thank them and um, ask them about what times to come out and help. And I hope you'll, if you're not doing anything, I hope you'll march in the parade with us today. That'd just be a good time to really outreach. Uh, just a lot of exciting things. Membership class. Uh, if you're going through that today, you're going through kind of a new curriculum. I've, I've rewritten it a bit, so you are a guinea pig today, and so I hope you're okay with that. Um, and if you're not signed up but you want to come, love to have you. Uh, we had a really good time last time. We're going to have a, a good time today. Uh, just a lot of things. I think of the Awanas, uh, the soccer program. We're, we're uh, we're just really excited because we're going to take some steps to really make sure that we allow people to take a next step, that we don't want to just have a good soccer program. We want to make sure that all these families that may not be connected to a church at all, that they know that they can come here. Uh, the staff has some really good ideas, things like having an award ceremony on a Sunday morning to get people into church. And so I'm excited about those things. I hope you'll volunteer, get involved. There's nothing like being part of a church family. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and turn to First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. We are going through the book of First John. And Today we're talking about a war of ideas, or you might even say a war of influence. And there's just so much influence in this world today. There, there's so many competing ideas, competing messages. And what's interesting is sometimes as we get caught up in this, uh, we think of other people being influenced. Like right as I say that, you may think of a news station that you feel like that news station is influencing people in such a wrong way. Or you may think uh, of kids on social media and uh, and you're not wrong, but I just want us to realize that we're in the war too. And if we're in the war too, then that means sometimes we're casualties. Sometimes the messages are at us. Sometimes the, the sources we go to, we don't realize that we're a product as well, that, that we're being fed information. But it doesn't even have to be news or, or social media. It could just be the enemy coming at us at our thoughts. That maybe someone in church said something or did something and... and there's this whisper in our, our conscience that just says, ah, why'd they do that? They must have done it for this reason, and we start to assign poor reasons to someone, and we don't realize we're just caught up in this war of ideas, this war of influence. And so the question I want to ask you today is, can you discern the truth? Now, you may say yes very quickly, but I promise you that all of us at times have had instances when we didn't discern the truth. And what we're going through today in Scripture in 1 John chapter 4 is really a warning, but then also some steps that will help us discern the truth. So I want to start by reading 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 1 with me, please. 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, as I was thinking about this, and I do a lot of my study early in the week where I get it all interpreted, get my points, things like that, but I really think and pray about the application, and oftentimes I don't want to finalize the application until the night before because then sometimes God lays something on my heart and I end up changing it anyway. 
And so as I was thinking of something last night, um, I, I was trying to think of different social media, things like that, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to check my spam filter on my email. I'm just going to go click it and just see what's in there. If you want to talk about misinformation and things that... Uh, I just want you to know, if you don't know this already, every Nigerian prince is not actually offering you money. Like, don't, don't believe that. So I went to click on my spam filter, and, you know, there's always some things in there, but the bulk of the things in my spam filter, I'm sorry to say, was from Pastor Ron Zamkis. <laughs> if you don't know that, he's the transitional pastor who was just here, did a wonderful job. I've had lunch with him, great man, Lo love to get to know him, but my email account just, I guess, saw Ron Zamkis, thought that's a shady character, and they <laughs> sent him straight to Phil. Now, Ron, I think sometimes he listens to our messages online, so Ron, I didn't put you there. I just want you to know, I, I moved you to the inbox, I marked safe. <laughs> I did. <laughs> but it's a good thing to remember that there are different sources out there right? That even a spam filter that's designed to catch these things can't often catch it. In fact, sometimes you look at your inbox and you say, how did this make it through? How, how did that get through? Of all things that got blocked, I think with a name like Obadiah Downfall, I am automatically sent to spam filter for everybody. So just occasionally check your spam filter if you feel like I should have communicated with you. Some sources are bad though, and we need to realize that spiritually. Verse 1 is something that we could just look over, and we could say, that's for them. That's for people that are caught up in this spiritual battle, and we forget us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Now, why does he say that? Well, because if you look at chapter 3, verse 23 really quickly, he had just said, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. He had just told us what to believe in. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. We believe in the Word. He had just told us what to believe in. And so then he starts in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, and there are some things not to believe in. We ought not skip that. We ought not just say, so to the adults in the room, here what we could do. I think of uh, young adults sometimes and, and teenagers. And I, I, having been a young adult pastor, I, of course, have counseled a lot of teenagers. And, and there are... Um, there are so many meetings that I've had with young men that through pornography addiction, they have just been depressed, discouraged, and they feel like captives. There are so many young ladies that I've spoken to that very few of them have had, had, had a cell phone where it didn't cause some sort of negativity. Maybe that was just going through social media and they just start to judge themselves. Maybe that's a guy asking for inappropriate pictures. I'm telling you, parents, if you are... If you have kids and they have a cell phone, man, we wanna, we're in a day and age where we just say, uh, give them privacy and don't invade their privacy, stuff like that. I'm telling you, you're doing a disservice to them. If you were to, to hand your kid a, a weapon, you would check in on them. And I'm saying a cell phone is, is just as dangerous. It's just as dangerous. It's been compared to cocaine addictions. Cell phones are so dangerous. But I didn't want to just pick on the teenagers today because I want us as adults to think of this as well. The news outlets that we listen to, we are a product for them. 
If you find yourself getting enraged at your fellow human, realize that you are caught up in the war of influence. Now, I'm not saying that there's not things to say, people shouldn't do that, people shouldn't do that. But if what the outcome is, is that I start to have rage towards someone else, I'm caught up in that war of influence. What about when I'm at church or something like that, and a brother or sister says something or does something in a way that I, I don't like it, or I just assume some motives. That, that there's a brother or sister in Christ. They love Jesus. They're made in the image of God. And they did something that I don't agree with, and I start to assume why they did it. And I start to think, they always do that. They're, they're, that's how they are. And then I go and I join the war of influence, this war of ideas, because I go start to talk about them, not to them, because that would require too much bravery. I talk about them to someone behind their back and now I start to influence someone else's opinion of that person instead of doing the thing that God tells us to do which is go talk to that person or to just forgive. I'm telling you, we're caught up in a war of influences. This tells us not to believe every spirit but test the spirit. Now that, that's an interesting phrase because I don't, I don't know about you but when you read test the spirit you may think of something that we shouldn't do, like a Ouija board or necromancy, right? I mean, when it says test the Spirit, that is an unusual thing to say. What he's not saying is that, that you have to go and interview ghosts. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that there's a spirit of influence behind people and messages. There is a spirit of influence behind people and messages. That means some of the things that we listen to and hear, they're not of God. They have an other source. They have something else driving that message. And we ought to be cognizant of that. So when we see this first verse, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, that's echoed in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 11. He says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Or John in the same book, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 26 through 27, he says, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, remain in him. See, John is responding to some specific deceivers. I want to tell you some things that they've deceived about. They've deceived about, they've claimed fellowship with God, but they're not in the light, whether morally or in their beliefs. They've deceived about claiming they have no sin, that they are sinless. He says, if you claim you have no sin, you're lying and the truth is not in you. They've deceived saying, well, they're actually okay with sin, that it's okay, I can have a relationship with God and yet be in sin. They've claimed that they love God, but they hate their brother. They've deceived and left the faith, and they left the faith because they rejected Christ. That ought to be a warning to us that all these other deceptions are often tied to godlessness. And I wonder how many sources we trust that, that we just jump in fully and it's tied to godlessness or it's against his thing. So the first point I want you to know today is there are two sources of influence in this world. There are two sources of influence in this world. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, for our struggle 
is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, if I went on there, we'd see the whole armor of God. We don't have time for that today. But it talks about spiritual disciplines that we need to protect ourselves to be ready to fight against this spiritual warfare. We are in a war of ideas. So what can we do? How can we fight against this? How can we be prepared? If there, if there are two sources, how can we discern which is which? Well, it goes on to say, look at verse 2. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. So how can you discern which is which? I, uh, I walked into a room one time, and there was someone on the phone, and they screamed for me in a little bit of a panic. And I had just, I had just walked into this, uh, this building, and, and they screamed for me in this panic and said, Obi, I need your help. And I come over, and they're on the phone, and they're like trying to find some identification information, but they, I could tell that whoever they're on the phone with is really pressuring them, really pressuring to get whatever identification information. And they're like, I need help finding this. I need it now. Someone's trying to steal $500 from me. I said, stop. Did they call you or did you call them? And they didn't answer at first. I said, did they call you or did you call them? I said, well, they called me. I said, hang up. You're in the process of being scammed. Like right now, you are actively being, being manipulated right now. So they hung up, checked their accounts. Everything was fine. No one had taken any money from them. Sometimes it's difficult to tell. But there's some easy tests. Something like, did I call them or did they call me? A bank's not going to call me and just ask for my money. I think of, uh, or ask for my credentials, things like that. I think of uh, social media sometimes, and uh, I put this out there on social media, that sometimes we copy and paste and, and we, uh, we just share things that we don't necessarily know the sources to. This is, this is free advice, by the way. This is not necessarily part of my sermon. But we'll say, if you ever see those things that say, hey, copy and paste and, and share to all your friends and try... If you see that, just know that is a hacker. And what they do is they try to get people to share those things. And then they'll do a search by those exact words because you copy and paste it exactly. And then they'll try to find people with low security settings. And then your account will be hacked. It is difficult to tell the sources sometimes. But there's always markers. There's always something that says, this isn't right. If it's a Nigerian prince offering me money... That's an unusual thing. That's not right. If someone calls you and they're saying, there's someone hacking you right now. Give me all your information and I'll fix it. That's a sign. If you're on social media and it says, copy and paste and share this to all your friends, that's a sign. Now, you may not have known to look for it, but it is a sign. Well, what do we see here in chapter 4, verse 2? It says, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. There's some obvious tests whether there's something false in this world. There's some obvious tests whether something is from the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist. And this first test is they must confess Jesus I want you to hear this, where they have another spirit influencing them. 
They must confess Jesus or they have another spirit influencing them. Now, what I'm not saying is that you can't learn something from someone else. I'm not saying you couldn't read a secular author who's a, maybe writes a biography, and that's your favorite author, and, and he's a really good author and really detailed and things like that. I'm not saying you can't learn from someone else. What I'm saying is what Scripture says is that if they don't confess Christ, then they have another spirit influencing them. I ought to be aware of that. I ought to not just jump in and just say, well, this is my favorite author. They don't, they don't believe in Jesus, but I, I don't go to them for Jesus. I go to for, for all these other things. Just realize they have another spirit influencing them. There is another spirit working on them. I, I read uh, secular people often. I, I'll learn all sorts of things, but I read it with the lens knowing that this person does not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This person does not have a heart that is transformed. So I am cautious. I go in with my eyes open. And I say, this person doesn't have the transforming grace of Jesus Christ that can change everything about the way they think. They see the world through a different point of view, and I ought to be aware of that. Paul talks to the same thing in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean they can't just say the words. He's talking about a profession. So know this. If someone would not say that Jesus is Lord, if they won't say that, they have another spirit working on them. We ought to not be deceived. We ought to not just say they're an infallible source of information that I can just go to for anything. I ought to go in, even to someone that I say, man, they're good at this. I go in with my guard up. Not because I'm against them or don't like them, but because I know there is a war of ideas. And Satan wants my mind. He wants my children's mind. He wants your mind. He wants it to be twisted and warped away from everything that is God's. A person must confess Jesus so they have another spirit working on them. Now, what else does he say? Look at verse 5. It says, they are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Now, this is something that you and I can't just say. I can't say, well, they wouldn't listen to me, so they're clearly not from God. I talked to my kids, and they didn't obey me. They're clearly not from God. But when John or one of the disciples, when they say something like this, it carries more weight. Because they wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote the very word of God. And so then when he says they are from the world and what they say is from the world and the world listens to them, we're from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. When he says that, we ought to realize what that means. The message of God, the gospel, his word. So if the first test is that a person has to confess Jesus, the second one is a person must align with scriptures or they have another spirit influencing them. Again, I'm not saying that everything they say is wrong. I'm not saying you can't learn something from someone in secular circles. In fact, I think it's decent, a a good idea as you advance your education to learn even other arguments, arguments against the faith. But I don't go in naive. 
I don't go into it just thinking, this will edify my soul. I don't go learn spiritual practices that, that I'm going to implement in my life from someone that doesn't believe in the God I believe in. A person must align with Scripture or they have another spirit influencing them. 2 Timothy 3, verses 13 through 16 says this, Evil people and imposters will become worse deceiving and being deceived. Man, I want you to hear that. Because sometimes we can have this, this enemy mentality that it's, it's them, it's us. No, I'm saying they're a war and the whole human race at times is casualties. Evil people and imposters will become worse deceiving. So they are deceiving, but they're also being deceived. Have you thought about that? That the very people that are trying to manipulate you, they themselves are deceived. It's, it's like a church member who when I'm mad at somebody and I go talk about them and not to them, I am in the process of being deceived by the evil one. I'm letting my flesh get carried away. I am being deceived. I'm deceiving and I'm being deceived. Verse 14. But as for you, continuing what you have learned and firmly believe, you know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's two sources of influence, but the source can be identified. Christian, what you have to do, no matter how great the pressure, and you're going to face pressure, students, you're under immense pressure. There's going to be so many false ideas that are out there that even my very compassion, something good that God put into me, in me, my very compassion could be used against me and make me abandon truth because I want to care about someone. But I can't abandon the truth. So there are two sources, and the sources can be identified. And it is, do they profess Jesus? And do they align with his word? And if they don't, they're not truth. And they're, they're being acted upon by another force that is your enemy, that wants your destruction. No matter how much you, you might say, yeah, but I want to care about that person. Man, I hope you care about them. I hope you care about them so much that you care about the truth in their life, that you care about that there is an enemy deceiving them as well. That there's an enemy that, that would tell a teenager that I can't be happy unless I, I search social media all day and I compare myself to these other people. Or, or I can't be happy unless I, I give in to my sexual preferences or into every desire. Or it might tell an adult, I can't be happy unless I work 80 hours a week and I have the biggest house in town or the nicest boat. Or I can't be happy unless I satisfy my hunger with food or lust. I can't be happy unless I do those things. I'm telling you, there's an, there is a spiritual influence acting on you as well. But the source can be identified. It's, do they profess Christ? And does it align with his word? And so now we go to the most powerful verse in this whole section. Some of you might have wondered why I skipped verse 4. You're like, ah, that's my favorite memory verse. I'm going back to it. Don't worry. Verse 4. You are from God. Little children... And you have conquered them. So he's talking to believers who've conquered them, not through your own skill or, or power or holiness, but through God, through accepting Jesus Christ. You're from God, little children. You have conquered them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one 
who is in the world. I asked if you're good at discernment. And as a Christian, we'd love to always say yes. And then I read a verse like verse 4, and it makes me feel like, well, then why does he have to teach me anything? Why does he have to tell me anything? We already read in chapter 2 where he says there's people trying to deceive, but I don't need to be taught by anyone because I have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm, I'm his child from God. I've conquered them. He's greater in me than in the world. So how come he has to warn me? Why does he have to tell us anything? I should be... I should be almost immune to all the influences of the enemy, right? Well, the problem is, sometimes we don't ask ourselves some difficult questions. The first one is this, do I stifle the Holy Spirit? Do I stifle the Holy Spirit? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19-21 through 21 says this, Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. A sister passage to this is 1 Corinthians thir- uh, chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. And it talks about how the people of Corinth were in sin. And Paul's like, I couldn't speak to you about mature things because there's sin in your life. And he goes on to enumerate a lot of sin. But what he began with was something that we'd say, well, that's not that serious. It was division within the body of Christ. He says, because you're divided, I can't. I can't speak to you about mature things. It has stifled your growth. It stifled your ability to discern truth. And what's interesting is chapter 2, if you go back right before that, he's just talking about the process that in theology we call illumination. Where because we have the Holy Spirit in us, that that as I, I read Scripture, as I pray, the Holy Spirit can illuminate and teach me things. But then he goes into chapter 3 and says, but I couldn't teach you. Why? Because there's sin in your life. What sin? Was it grotesque? Was it one of those that we like to point out? No, it was division in the church. Like that. Just, just that simple. Just, just that easy. It was division in the church. It was Christians fighting. Now he goes on to list a whole lot of other things, but he starts there. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. When I ask, are you good at discernment? There is a war of ideas in your life. You need the Holy Spirit through, through Scripture, through prayer, through time with God. You need to be transformed to where you can very easily tell something that is of God and something that is not because you know His Word and the Holy Spirit working in you through the knowledge of that Word and through prayer and through time with Him says, that's a lie or that's a bad practice or you ought to apologize for that because you stepped out of line. As much as it hurts my pride, I ought to go say, I am sorry. I talked wrong to you or, or I said something behind your back and now I need to apologize to several people and say, I shouldn't have done that. He said, well, that's hard, preacher. That's right. The Christian life is very hard. It is very hard to die to self. It is a difficult thing, but it is a better way. And this is what God calls us to. So do I stifle the Spirit? Second one is, am I growing? So there's three reasons at least that we may not be growing sometimes. First one is found in 1 Peter 2.2. It says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Desire the word. And that's just one of them. We could say a lot of the different uh, practices of the faith or spiritual disciplines. So studying the word, prayer, that to be regular in your life. You have to not only come to church and join a Bible study, but you ought to personally read a little scripture every day. Just personally be going through it. Not as a 
sometimes what we do is we become so goal-oriented, and so we'll read through the Bible and just be like, well, I just have to get in my chapter for the day. Don't do that. Get in your time with God for the day. Get in some time with the Lord. To read Scripture to seek to know Him. Not to, not to accomplish something or to brag, but to seek to know Him. Pray, read, sometimes fast. I've talked about this. Uh, our worship leader, Andy, has been talking about it as well, about fasting. And fasting is something that in modern days, we just really don't do that often. And, and some people have medical issues, so you ought to consult with your doctor about how to do it healthily. But we ought to do it. We ought to occasionally take time where we study the Word, we pray, and we just take an absence from eating food. And that may seem like such a silly thing, well, it's because food has quite a hold on our flesh. It's a weird thing in this society that, that I think is really foreign to almost every other society that has ever existed is that they would eat to live whereas we live to eat. It is a good thing to fast, to say that even the most basic thing with my biology, I'm going to give to you, God. I'm going to take this time and I'm going to just pray and worship and focus on you. Worship God. Serve. Sometimes we think that we retire from Christianity at a certain point. I know uh, my previous position where I was a young adult pastor, I would get so many emails from people saying, hey, could you have the young adults do this? Could you have the young adults do this? And sometimes I want them to. I want them to serve as well. But they ought not lift the whole load. The church ought to lift the whole load of service together. Sometimes we have difficulty filling positions like in uh, student ministry or kids. Imagine if a church of around 500 people, everybody said, I'm going to take a turn. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to be part of that. Imagine if that happened in any church where the whole body just says, I'm not here just to be fed, but I realize that serving the Lord is one of the ways that I grow. Did you know that you, you may be stunted in your growth? You may have less ability to discern truth because you don't grow, and you didn't grow because you didn't serve. You ever feel like faith is dead? That, man, I just, I come to church, I sing a song, I go home, nothing happened. Well, have you ever used it? I, I know every tool I've ever gotten, if I don't use it for a while, that uh, it's going to rust, it's going to need some oil, it's going to need something. Have you ever used your faith for service? What about for evangelism? We hold with us the seed of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is able to save a soul. Have you ever distributed it to anyone? Have you ever given it to anyone, your neighbor? Have you ever said to my neighbor, I'm going to have an intentional, don't say it directly to him, I'm going to have an intentional relationship with this person. I'm going to pray for this person because I want them to have what I have. I don't want something from them. I want to give something to them. This life-transforming gospel. Use your faith and you'll grow. What about giving? Oh, that's a, a tough one for a preacher to preach on. What about giving? God ought to be Lord of our wallet and our time. Of both. It is a spiritual discipline to give. And I say this word, spiritual discipline, and maybe that's unfamiliar to you, but just think of any type of discipline that if I say, well, I wanted to lose weight, so I disciplined myself, I dieted and exercised. Or I wanted to graduate with a certain degree, so I disciplined myself and gotten in my studies. What if I want to know God more? 
then I'm going to practice some spiritual disciplines of studying, praying, fasting, worshiping, serving, evangelizing, giving. I may not be growing because I don't do the practices that would give me growth. The next one, next reason I may not be growing is, it's found in Ephesians 4. It says, and he gave himself... And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some preachers and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. So there's that serve part. We ought to all serve. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waters and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Now there's a few verses after that that are also equally powerful, but I knew I didn't have time to cover it all today. But this is a picture of people engaged in the body of Christ. Sometimes we don't grow because we are sporadic or we're spectators at church. We are sporadic or we're spectators. We say there's all sorts of other things in the world that I'd rather be doing and I go do those, and, and we say, well, they're good things. Like, my kids have this stuff. Whatever, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so I'm going to take them to this most of the time, but then occasionally we're going to come to church. Well, I'm just telling you that God's things are more important. And if I'm sporadic, then I'm not growing as much. And therefore, since I'm not growing as much, I am vulnerable to the war of influence, the war of ideas. And your kids are. Your children are vulnerable to this. And if we, if we feel like, I want my kids to be raised up to know the Lord, but I'm going to do everything but keep them in church and show them that being with God is my number one priority. It's above all things. If I show them that anything else is a better priority, they're going to believe you. And then, as they enter schools and, and hear from their friends that there are things like gender fluidity or that you can just go with any sexual orientation or whatever it may be, or just that there's no God, they're going to believe them. And there's a reason that kids drop out of church the moment that they graduate from high school. It's because we've shown them so many other things are more important than God's. Don't be sporadic. Don't be a spectator. Engage in church. The third reason is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. It says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Now, I love this passage because sometimes when we get really serious about the faith, what we do is we get what we would call our hobby horse. It's the thing that we care about. For people who are deep into theology, maybe it's arguments about Arminianism versus Calvinism. Or maybe deep into theology, it is, I want to figure out the exact code to crack in times. I would equate that to this. Verse 4, don't pay attention to myths or endless genealogies. This is what the Jews did. They said, well, who are you descended from? We're going to study this and see exactly what tribe I'm from. And and while that's interesting, what he's saying is it's not helpful. Look what it says. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now, I'm not saying don't study the things of Scripture. Don't be interested. I'm not saying that. Be interested. But be more interested in God's plan for your neighbor than you are just saying, how can I crack a code? How, how can I unlock everything? 
Study the word, know it deeply, to know God deeply, to know him. Now the goal, look at verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. So I may not grow because I pay attention to what is false or simply what is empty. It's not, not false, but it's empty. So here's what I encourage you to do with the third point in your paper is seek God's spirit. When he says you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit within you can help you discern through study of the word, through prayer, through other spiritual disciplines, you can grow and you can very quickly come to recognize what is false outside and what is false within that needs attention through doing those things. So what I charge you to do today is remove the other things. Get rid of those things. Become not a a sporadic spectator at church, but someone who says, I'm going to take my faith seriously. I'm going to read the word on my own. I'm going to practice spiritual disciplines, and I'm going to be a part of a body of Christ, not just someone who watches, but someone who says, how can I serve? What can I do to help? Where can I go to help? So we're in a war of ideas, and some examples are this. The entertainment, that entertainment or pleasure is the highest goal. You ever feel like our culture is that? That entertainment or pleasure is the highest goal. That's almost the definition of hedonism. That, that, that we're just, we have this mentality that I just need to, to feel good, to consume the right food, to have the right job, to have the right car, to have the right house, to whatever it is, my entertainment or my pleasure is the highest goal. There's a lie out there that discerning truth is judgmental. That this could lead to the ideas that gender is fluid, that sexual expression is the key to happiness that babies in the womb are less than human. But there's a war of ideas. And, and to say that discerning truth is judgmental, that's what the world is saying. And then above all, which I think leads to all of these, is the idea that there is no God. I'm going to tell you, that war is in your mind too. The world and Satan would love for you to reject God, to abandon Him, to do exactly what's happening in 1 John, where there are deceivers who are leaving the faith and saying that Jesus is not the Christ. That war would love to come to your mind and to your heart. And what I'm saying is defend yourself, Christian. So I'm going to give you six things to do very quickly. The first one is this, accept Jesus as your Savior. If you're here today and you haven't done that, then just know right now you are a casualty of this war of ideas because you've, you've missed out on believing the greatest truth that you could ever believe, which is that you are a sinner and sin separates you from God, but Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he rose again so that you may have new life. And that if you put your faith in him, believing that he died and rose again and make him the master of the authority of your life, you can be saved. I'd love for you to do that today. I'd love for you to come down at the end of service or after service and come talk to me. I'd love to tell you how to know Jesus as your Savior. So accept Jesus as Savior. Then two, once you've done that, grow in the faith constantly. Every Christian here, I don't care what phase of life you're in. I don't care if you feel like uh, there's not much left of my life. Grow. The third one is repent of sin. Anything that's in your life, to not grieve the Spirit. Confess it to God. As this book said, He is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive all unrighteousness. The fourth one is study the Bible and do the other spiritual disciplines regularly. 
The fifth is, don't let your heart talk your mind into something that Scripture clearly says is wrong. Instead, pray for others to be liberated from their sin. When I thought of that, I can't help but thinking of the things that face our kids today. It'd be so easy if you have a friend who's struggling with a sin. It'd be so easy to say, because of my compassion for them, I'm going to accept what they say as truth. Don't let your heart convince your mind. Let your mind lead your heart. But then pray for that person because they are in bondage of their sin right now. And the last one is be a witness. You aren't given the gospel of Jesus Christ to hold on to it and to sit on it. You're given it to share it. Share it. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray for anyone today that is not a Christian. Right now, God, they are, they are exactly where the enemy wants them. Maybe sitting right here in a chair today, they're exactly where the enemy wants them. They're separated from you. The lie that the enemy would love to veil is that the lie he would love to veil is that there's a God who loves them and a Satan who hates them. And the world is saying everything different. Our academics have for so long, ever since Nietzsche said God is dead and we killed him, our academics have just said there isn't a God. And there's someone sitting here today who maybe has believed that. But maybe right now, you, the God of the universe, are tapping on your, their heart saying, I'm real. You're breaking through the lie. There is a God who loves the person that I'm talking to right now. God loves you. He loves you right now, sitting in your chair. He knows how sinful you are. He knows. That's why he died. He died to pay for your sin. As you sit there in your chair, having thought there wasn't a God and now realizing there is a God, he loves me enough to send his son to die for me. So what I ask you to do is if that's you, then when, this, when the music starts, when I'm done praying, come forward, talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Say, how can I be saved? Leave today no longer a casualty. God, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we get caught up in this war too, and sometimes, sometimes we look like the enemy. Sometimes we fight and bicker and gossip, or maybe just by all accounts, our life, it looks like our God is hedonism, that we just say, what pleasure, what entertainment can I have? And we act as if that's the purpose of life. That's why you give us something like fasting to say it's okay to deprive your body because man is more than just the body. God, you made us beings with a soul, an eternal soul. And that this body here won't even make it into eternity. We're going to be given a transformed body because this one's been corrupted by sin. So God, to know that we as believers, not that we go so far as to be into asceticism and, and deprive everything, but that we would say, God, you are Lord of my life, not this body, not these impulses, whether it be food or sexuality or greed or pride. You are Lord. 
not these impulses. I pray that right now as we enter into a time of prayer and worship of you, that there will be some Christians today that are laying some things down, that they're repenting of some things, that they're confessing some things right now. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?